Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Morning, everyone. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the crowd. Uh, We just so appreciate you. we, I think it's often, uh, I realize that a lot of the, the moms in this community are what keep the church going. And so, appreciate you all. Um, we wouldn't be anything uh, without you guys. So, I appreciate that. I also, I mean, do want to recognize that Mother's Day is hard for a lot of people, too. And so, just want to give you space for that, um, for those folks who maybe don't have moms, who don't have moms um, like they would want to, or it, it, motherhood has been hard, things like that totally recognize that. And so I think we're going to actually talk about some tension, tensions today in um, both celebration and um, hardness at the same time. And so that is an okay thing to coexist, right? Um, with that being said, um, I am very sad I missed you all last week. Um, I heard, I actually listened to the, um, the sermon, and uh, if you weren't here last week, Gary got up and he said, uh, Hi, everyone. I'm not Jimmy, but I am better looking. I was hurtful. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, that was great. Um, but I will admit, uh, I, I buzz my beard about, so get what Gary also said if you weren't here, was I really, he really just thinks it's the lack of beard. Um, I do buzz my beard about once a week, you know, that like perpetual five o'clock shadow look. Um, but I, was, uh, I pulled out my buzzers last night and I was like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to show Gary that I can grow a beard. Uh, Yeah, we don't need to. No, please don't. (laughs) The three guys with beards clap. Um, Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Hey, uh, as many of you, or many of you are aware, we have been preaching through the book of Ephesians in this season, uh, pre-Easter, post-Caesar, or post-Easter, Easter. Gosh, my words are not coming to me this morning. Um, And it is a really, really rich letter that has blessed me in the season. I've had a lot of fun preaching through it, um, hearing, preaching from it. Um, and we will finish the book at the end of this month, just so you're aware, and then we're going to start our summer series. But this morning, I just wanted to give you a pretty big heads up. This is going to be a little bit of a different service than what is typical um, in, our, in our church, and we're also not even going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians. So just so you know, the, the main point of the, of the passage, I love this passage, but my main point was just going to be um, sort of the contrast of being drunk with wine versus, versus being filled with the Spirit. There are these two aspects of things that are outside influences on us, um, I think is why Paul sort of compares and contrasts the idea of being drunk versus being filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, and so I, I just encourage you to dive into that, to look at, like, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? We if you are a follower of Jesus, you are indwelt by the Spirit already. The Spirit is with you no matter what, right? Even in our worst moments, you are indwelt by the Spirit. Uh, so being indwelt, though, versus being filled or following the Spirit, things like that, that is a whole different thing, right? And so just a reality of being in step with the Spirit is something that we really want to dive into. With that being said, I actually am not going to really be preaching at all this morning. Um, this week, I had been getting some nudges from the speak, 
speaking of him, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and honestly, I was really unsure how to proceed. I was like, I'm not sure what to do with what I'm experiencing, um, what I'm thinking through, things like that. Um, but then at our staff meeting, it's the Missio Day wide staff meeting on Tuesday. Um, it was pretty abundantly clear that uh, Tiana and Girlie in particular had been feeling some similar things, maybe in, in slightly different ways, but definitely some similar things, and were at least in the same space as I was, and I felt it necessary this morning to respond. Um, so I'm going to give you a, a warning here up front so that you're not blindsided, um, and give you the permission to seek space away from this room as you need it. Uh, if things come up as we proceed in the service, uh, because this morning we are going to be talking about recent acts of violence, uh, in particular gun violence and uh, the killing of Jordan Neely in New York City. The way we're going to proceed with this, mor this morning uh, is via a service of lament. Uh, we're going to have five different movements this morning. Um, and I'm about to start our first movement. Most of them will be in response to gun violence in our country. And then I want to spend, again, some time talking about Jordan Neely, mental health, and the unhoused. Uh, we're going to talk about lament and why this is a proper response in our season and why we as a church probably need to lean into lament a little bit more. But I first want to even talk about why we care in the first place. I don't know if you're feeling like I am, but it feels as if, particularly with gun violence, we're unable to catch our breath in this country right now, right? We went from last year, it's been more than a year since Uvalde, uh, to the July 4th shooting in Highland Park, to the Colorado nightclub, to the Walmart shooting, to last year's Lunar New, or this year's Lunar New Year shooting, um, to Michigan State, to be kids being shot for accidentally going to the wrong house, to recently Allen, Texas, eight days ago, right? And I skipped a ton of events over the last calendar year. Two things have stood out to me as we continue to see the news of shooting after shooting being reported. The first is, I just wanted to be like honest this morning, as we hear it more and more, I felt numbness to the stories. I hate that it's true, but every time we see the news of another shooting, it doesn't phase me at this point, right? It has been so common at this point that I don't think I'm able to stay in a constant state of grief. And I don't think that that's healthy, right? To stay in a constant state of grief. And it feels like it is constant. And this first reason, though, is a major reason why I want to create space for us this morning, right? I believe numbness to death is antithetical to the gospel, Right? If the gospel leads to an overflowing of life abundant, right? there are so many ways in which our relationship with God is equated to life in the, in the um, Bible. Not caring about death then means we don't fully understand the depths of Jesus' victory over death. The gospel gives us the space and the framework to both engage with the inordinate death we see in our country from gun violence while also clinging to hope that it can get better, that things can change. So as a result, I don't think that numbness is an option, right? I also think the second thing uh, when COVID, or sorry, the second thing that stood out to me was the closeness to which gun violence is beginning to feel. I knew theoretically something could happen to me or someone I love, but it stayed very much in the theoretical and not in the possible until recently with me right? 
I remember when COVID-19 started, uh, this idea of pandemics, obviously, was on our minds, right? And I remember the best way a pandemic was described in my mind was that if you knew people affected by the disease, it, once everyone knows that uh, someone affected by the disease, it's for sure at pandemic levels, right? When everyone is at most one degree of separation from the disease, it's certainly a pandemic. Well, um, among the victims of the Allen, Texas shooting were a Korean-American family. If you hadn't heard the story, uh, the husband and wife, Keo and Cindy, went to the mall with their three and six-year-old sons, James and William, William, to shop for the six-year-old's birthday. That, that's William. The husband, the wife, and the three-year-old, James, died in the shooting, while William is still alive. On Tuesday at our staff meeting, Tiana shared with me that she had friends who were friends with the Cho's. One degree of separation. So the question becomes, is gun violence in our country a pandemic? No. See, <laughs> you may be surprised that I say that. The pan refers to world in pandemic, right? Meaning the epidemic in question spreads throughout the world, not bound by borders. But gun violence is an epidemic, or endemic, because it is an exclusively American reality. We are the only developed country that deals with what we deal with, with regards to gun violence. We are the only developed country that has decided that our freedom is worth the lives of children. So this morning, I want to create a space for lament. Maybe you aren't in the same emotional place as me in terms of grief, and that's okay, right? Lament is a choice a lot like love is. In lament, we call on God for his kingdom to more fully come and to impact our reality, right? So let me define lament for us a little bit, and then I just, again, briefly talk about why this is a good response. So Sung Chen Ra uh, defines it like this. Lament is not simply the presentation of a list of complaints, nor merely the expression of sadness over difficult circumstances. Lament in the Bible, and it's in the Bible, is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated through lament. In other words, lament is both recognition of the suffering and pain in this world and the bringing of that suffering and pain to God, right? Now, two arguments might rise against lament. The first is, is church the place to be sad? Didn't Jesus defeat death? Don't we have a future hope so we don't have to care as deeply about it? Lament plainly is a recognition of the pain and suffering of our world in a specific way, right? Thus, in recognizing what is causing suffering and lament, we are giving words to what we ought to challenge on this side of eternity. If suffering is a result of injustice, it, as it often is, lament gives us the words to address that injustice head-on as opposed to being silent in the face of it, right? Lament, therefore, aligns us with the oppressed, the marginalized, the victims of a lack of justice because it helps us to give, their, give voices to them and it also helps us to enter their space of grief and mourning and to engage that with ourselves. 
mourn with those who mourn, right? Walter Bergman says that when we do not practice lament, we engender docility and submissiveness in a way that supports the status quo. In other words, when we don't care enough to lament, we won't push back on unjust and unsafe structures, right? A good news that does not, the gospel, that does not engage with realities of this side of eternity is not good news to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, right? It's not good news to those who are suffering. We've been given the practice of lament to engage with those realities, right? And I, I just want to, th- let me go off script a little bit here for a second. Like, if we are people who believe in God, l- let me put it this way. If we are people who do not believe in God, right? If God was not a thing, we have every right to not care. Because what's the point, right? Like, you are allowed to be selfish. You are allowed to just live your life and not be sad. But if we have a God, right, if we believe that life it should be abundant, what we believe is that death is inordinate. This is not how it ought to be. And so it's a lot like playing basketball on a fractured ankle, right? You can act as if the ankle is not fractured, and it's going to be a lot worse for you, right? It's not going to heal. Just like either you're going to be hurt the the rest of your life or something else is going to blow out to the point where you have to engage with reality. And I think we've been playing on a hurt ankle in a lot of ways in this country, right? I think we're getting to the point where other parts of the body are being injured. And so if we're not going to acknowledge it, if we're not going to engage in reality, then we can't fix it. Like, plainly put, right? The second argument, maybe a little bit on the other side, against lament might be, isn't this just thoughts and prayers? Which a lot of people push back against, right? But I think I've addressed this, actually. Lament is an intentional aligning of ourselves with the suffering in order to engage with it more fully. In other words, lament is not the final step to our engagement, but it is the first step to then launch us into action against injustice, oppression, suffering, etc., right? So, and in bringing these realities to God, I do believe that God is still working in our world, right? I believe that asking him for the power to engage with our world works, right? I think the one pushback I have when people are like, oh, it's just thoughts and prayers, like, I agree. Like, we should be people who move toward action, but I also still believe in the power of prayer, right? God still works in our country. He has not removed himself from here. With that, I am going to call us into a service of lament. So if you have more questions regarding this, please come find me after church or some other time. I am very willing to talk through this with you, talk about my heart for this. But I urge you to allow yourselves this morning to, allow, to align yourselves with those who are suffering and grieving as a result of what's going on, right? So we're going to have, this has been the opening to the first movement. We're going to have, like I said, five movements. They're going to vary in length. I'll still get you out of here on time. Don't you worry. Um, but we're going to start with a communal prayer this morning, uh, a, a giving voice together. So if you would, would you, or if you are able to, would you please stand with me? Uh, The words for the prayer are going to be on the screen. I'm going to read the leader part, uh, and then the church response is going to be in yellow. It'll also say church up here. Um, And I'll just ask us all to say that together when we get to it. Make sense? Okay. God, 
How many times must we cry out, how long? How many times will the cycles repeat themselves? Headline after headline, the news of lives lost to gun violence repeats itself. Heartbreak, reaction, effort, no change. Heartbreak, reaction, effort, no change. Heartbreak, reaction, effort, no change. Every life unique, but patterns all too much the same. Hear our cries, O God. Open your ears to our lament. Weep with us when we weep. Listen, we are calling to you. In the person of Jesus Christ, you walked a world where the powerful were not held accountable, the poor were made vulnerable, and violence was used as a tool of fear and control. Though there were no guns, the same spirits of destruction and fear hovered over our lives. You know in your bones the grief we bear. Already, over 15,000 people have died by gun violence in the United States in 2023. Our hearts are broken. For the 97 children under the age of 11 who have been killed and the other 223 children who have been entered, we confess we have not done enough to protect them. For the 552 teenagers who have been killed and another 1,348 have been injured, bring your justice, O God. For the spirit of fear that hovers over our coming and going, inviting us to wonder, what about here? Are we safe in our church, in our school, in our streets? God, we wonder what it will take for meaningful change to occur. Wherever there is an action, put your people into motion. Do not let the lives that have been taken be dishonored. Bring forth justice from their graves, O God. Let no heart be settled, no mind be at peace that has the ability to make a positive change but chooses inaction instead. For all the harm that has been done and for that which is still to come, may your spirit provoke repentance. We grieve, we ache, we long for change because we believe it should not be this way. We have a sense of something better. A world without gun violence. A world without white supremacy. A world where corporations do not profit while blood is spilt. A world that does not take refuge in violence. Your kingdom come, your will be done. O God of justice and compassion, receive our cries, not of hopelessness or of resignation, but of truth. In all of its ache, of sharing in grief and anger and hard realities, the truth keeps us awake to what is so, that we can work for what could be. Help us make it so. You may be seated. Reading from Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. How long, Lord, must I call for your help? but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hymn in the righteous, so the justice is perverted. 
Okay. So, um, should I, I mean, I've sort of mentioned this, but if you don't know where we're at, I should have mentioned that Tiana's going to read some scripture in between each mo- movement, so we're not done yet. <laughs> um, so in our next movement, this movement too, um, I'm gonna, we're going to give you space to use your own words to lament. And so if you are comfortable, uh, I would encourage you to pray with just a few people around you. Uh, if you are like, I just want to, I'm new, I'll just pray by myself, or um, like do what you need to do but uh, would love for us to engage with this as a community. I know we don't often do this. This might be a little strange for some of us, but that's okay. Let's lean into it. Um, God is honored by our prayers, not the exact words we use, right? So if you would, would you just, I'm going to give you just a few minutes to pray in groups of two to four, uh, and then we'll go into our next movement. Reading from Psalm 131 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Um, for this next one, uh, going to be prayers for the families, uh, for the victims of gun violence. And so I'm going to put up um, the names from Allen, Texas. Um, and the way we're going to engage this is actually silence. So I'm going to let us just sit here in silence. Um, Pray to yourself silently uh, for the families, for the victims. Uh, If other shootings, things come to mind, please feel free to engage in those. Reading from Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but, we w- but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thanks, Tiana. Uh, In our next to last movement, uh, again, I just want to spend a couple of minutes in lament for Jordan Neely, uh, and and eh, sorry, and the ways in which those in our communities who are unhoused are treated in America. Uh, if you don't know what happened to Jordan Neely, uh, he was a man in New York City who was unhoused and experienced mental health issues. Uh, he got on the subway and expressed loudly that he was tired and hungry and he threw his coat to the ground. 
While Jordan seemed to experience a mental health episode, he was not threatening anyone or moving toward violence in any ways. That is when a young man put Jordan in a chokehold in order to protect those on the train, along with help from a few others. Neely then, during the chokehold, passed out and died. Jordan's death has led to a lot of reflection, so I want to highlight a few things that are incredibly important for our context, right? The first is that being uncomfortable is not the same thing as being unsafe. I'm afraid that in our current context in which comfort is one of the strongest unspoken values in America, when someone threatens your comfort, you feel unsafe. And when people feel unsafe, they respond in ways that protect their safety, right? I think this largely was at play in the death of Jordan. We must become more and more of our reactions to folks, particularly to folks that make us feel unsafe and be cognizant of why we're feeling the way we're feeling. I'm not advocating for people to not be aware of people that might be unsafe or to protect themselves, but there's a reality that we often conflate our comfort and our safety in ways that can cost lives, right? Another reflection that came up this week as I thought about this led to some digging up of history on homelessness in our country, uh, and I don't, have to, I don't have time to go super deeply into it this morning, but there's a clear mark in our recent history as a country where we began to criminalize homelessness. This was an intentional social framing of those who are unhoused in order to associate people to criminal behavior, which is dehumanizing, right? As a result, we as a country often treat people who are unhoused as problems themselves, as, as opposed to people going through pro- problems like the rest of us, right? This is a direct violation against the Imago Day and our brothers and sisters, and we must respond. So we're going to do a short period of group prayer again. I know we're running up on time, and I want to respect your time, but uh, I'm just going to give you just a couple more minutes uh, to pray in groups uh, for this, uh, and then we'll finish with a, a call to action. So you can go ahead and turn in your groups again. This is not on the script, but I want to say this real quick. Um, As Jimmy was talking about Jordan Neely, I thought of my own brother who didn't die in the same way as Jordan Neely last September, but who was severely mentally ill, black man, who also was made in the image of God. He wandered out into traffic in a a state of uh, severe mental illness and was hit by possibly two vehicles and was discovered days later. Let's continue to ask ourselves how we can be present to folks who struggle, who folks that um, the state, the city has forgotten about. How can we as a church find ways to creatively um, be a witness, creatively be in relationship? This is not for them, whoever the them is. This is for all of us to be a part of uh, these relationships. Acts 17, 24 through 27. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth 
and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Uh, ending with this passage in Acts might seem a, to be a strange way to end a service of lament, but let me explain. One of the greatest stealers of hope is the overwhelming nature of problems like gun violence and violence against the unhoused, right? In other words, we get so overwhelmed with the massiveness of the problem that we become frozen in inaction. Maybe I should say I get so overwhelmed. So I want to remind us this morning as we close that God has marked out our appointed times in history and the boundaries of our land. God has put us in a particular place at a particular time, and all we do is lay our brick in building a better tomorrow, right? The reality of gun violence and violence against the unhoused is a big and awful reality. But the violence has not won. Death has not won. Yes, we lament right? But we can also recognize that the victory is God's. I know this feels counterintuitive, but we are allowed to do that. I want you to think about this. Uh, what is the, the shortest verse in the Bible? Does anyone know? Jesus wept. Jesus wept, right? And what is the context of that verse? That's a question for me now. You don't answer. Um, Jesus had some friends, right? Those friends were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and they knew the power of Jesus. They had great faith in his healing power, Lazarus became very sick, so the sisters sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and that they needed him. And you know how they told Jesus that Lazarus was sick? Lord, the one you love is sick, right? Now, Jesus could have healed Lazarus from where he was, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus takes the trip to Bethany to see Lazarus himself. However, when Jesus arrives in Bethany, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And then when she heard that he was in Bethany, Martha, one of the sisters, went straight to Jesus. She told him, if you would have been there, my brother would not have died, right? And she grieves right in front of Jesus. And the group grieves right in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees them. Jesus considers his friend Lazarus, and Jesus weeps. But then Jesus goes to the tomb, and he calls out to Lazarus to get up. And what does Lazarus do? He responds to the Lord, right? He gets up. So why did Jesus weep? Why did he lament knowing that death had not won in this scenario? You see, Jesus modeled for us that day that because we live in an already but not yet world, we experience, experience both the realities of Jesus' victory over death and the pain and suffering that come with death still being around for a little bit. Beloved, we can align ourselves with the suffering, the oppressed, the victims of injustice, the marginalized, and we can lament the realities of our world. But that lament does not lead us to despondence. It leads us to action because we know that after Jesus wept, after Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus went to the cross and he took our place in death, and he raised from the dead, so that sin may no longer have hold of me, of you, and will eventually be
be present no more, right? So we move, both because we have a future hope and a hard reality. Let our lament lead to a yearning for justice and life abundant on this side of eternity while we hold on to the hope of our future reality, which is stated in Revelation 21 like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Would you stand with me if you are able to respond by the recital of our Justice Creed? When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous. We who call Jesus Lord devote ourselves to defend the press, to take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. We believe the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to those in bondage, and to comfort all who mourn. We desire to be quickened to a life that pleases God, acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God until justice rolls down like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Amen. I want to thank you for engaging with me this morning. Uh, It felt like a communal response, and that's what I hope for our church at times. Uh, I just so appreciate you engaging with us and considering uh, ways in which we, we enter this. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.